For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, McCall. Hey, Kirsty. How are you? Not bad. You know, we're about two months into this pandemic, and I think I'm just finally getting the swing of things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're all definitely getting into a new uh, flow and trying to figure out what that means for, you know, not only our family lives, but our work lives as well. Um, it's definitely a crazy time. It, it's a challenge, to say the least. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, I think everybody is starting to manage and figure things out. And as, uh, you know, the world somewhat starts to shift back to a little bit of normalcy, you know, I think we're all just taking it easy step by step and uh, we'll get through this. Yeah. I will say a few positives I've noticed is that more and more people spending time outside, uh, definitely letting people maybe see where they could add a little more family time, a little more time with nature. And so our guest, Mark Webb, who is an arborist we thought would be perfect for this time of year uh, because he is the man when it comes to trees, when it comes to uh, the environment, plants, everything. Uh, he has his own garden talk show on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. And so uh, we've had him on before, but we figured we need to bring him back, right, McCox? It's, it's been already quite interesting spring. Exactly. We've had a lot going on just this past week. We had, you know, temperatures that fell below freezing. It's the middle of May and, you know, everyone's just trying to get into the garden and the yard and fix things up. And I know personally it can be confusing as to what to plan and what to do. And I think with more and more of us being involved in mm -hmm. doing that kind of stuff now, because we have more time, uh, it would be a great opportunity to ask Mark some questions. All right. Well, welcome, Mark. You've been seeing him. If you're watching us, we are doing a video version. But if you are listening, uh, Mark Weber is our guest this week. So hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm very well, ladies. How are you? We are Yay. doing good as well. So Mark, let's just start off with a little bit. If maybe someone doesn't know what an arborist is, what exactly is it that you do? <laughs> um, well, one, one, I'm an arborist and a horticulturalist. And Horticulture is the um, manipulation and the care of plants for the benefit of human beings. Um, horticulture can range from everything from growing fruit trees to growing vegetables to growing flowers. Um, and arboriculture is the science and the care and the management of trees. It's a specialization of um, horticulture. Wonderful. So what, um, I guess, what has your life been like so far this spring? Working in, like you said, not only trees, but also with plants and vegetables and, and gardens. Um, have you noticed, have you gotten an uptick in questions? Uh, have you been extra busy? You know, what's going on with you? Um, I think people have renewed their um, bond with the earth. Um, I think under the, the conditions that we're under right now, um, we tend to go back to where our roots are, and our roots are in the dirt, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I think people, uh, I noticed on Garden Talk, we've gotten a huge amount of questions from all different demographics, from very 
young people to old farts like myself who, <laughs> who um, are even older that are finding that there is something outside the walls of their house, um, that they have a need now to become more self-sufficient at uh, growing their own food. Um, they're very interested in what to prune and how to prune and mm -hmm. how to mow the lawn and how to fight moles. And, um, and, and, they, and I think they also have realized that their backyard is actually a paradise. Um, it's actually that place that they can do their staycation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and a very pleasant place to be. And it, they can literally create it, you know, into that beautiful um, sanctuary. Because I think that the thing that I've noticed is a lot of people have realized that their home is their protection zone. That's the yeah. safe place. And that safe place has beyond just the four walls of the house there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going outside that's that's entertaining and more so it's a diversion from what goes on every day that can be a bit scary. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I think yeah. that um, a lot of people feel like they're locked in their homes right now so that all they want to do is get outside and so if they can beautify you know the space that they have outside I think that it does help to bring some peace to the person and then I think the human nature is also to be busy and so when you're told to slow down it's kind of hard so I find myself personally wanting to go out and you know dig in the garden or, or do this or do that and um, I think that you're you're hundred percent correct in in that so this time of year with everything going on what are some of the things that you're telling people that they're calling in yeah Oh boy the biggest the biggest challenge um, has been uh, freeze damage um, we had no less than three, we've had three sub substantial uh, events of very cold temperatures mm -hmm. um, that have done significant damage to a lot of plants. Um, to what degree, we're not quite sure yet, but if we start with perennials, um, the first hard freeze that we got back in um, April um, did a lot of damage to hostas particularly, okay. as well as some um, shrubs and some trees. Uh, it wasn't as significant as it was what we had uh, Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, there are some places, I think people have told me they had as low as 25 yeah. degrees Fahrenheit. Um, here at my house, when I was doing garden talk, we I got up at uh, 3 a.m., checked the temperature. We were at, I believe, hovering right at 31 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, all my vegetables outside were covered over, um, but I have a big hosta garden out back with uh, a lot of rare plants in it. Um, at 3 a.m., I turned on the water. Um, irrigation water and we ran water here till almost 11 o'clock Saturday morning we had over an inch inch and a half of ice on all of our plants um, wow. in the gar in the garden and there's some areas where in my magnolia collection uh, it got it got damaged um, oh. even my Japanese maples that had had little no damage have a little bit of browning on their tops um, some of the my neighbors I notice have really severe damage in some of their trees, and what we're going to have to do is is kind of live with the philosophy of wait and see. Okay. Um, 
plants have, uh, particularly woody plants, have a unique ability to grow new wood and regenerate new growth. It's one of the remarkable things that is exciting about all woody plants is they have the ability to compartmentalize problems and kind of encapsulate them and grow new growth beyond that um, to kind of outgrow their problems. Remember, plants don't heal, they seal, so to speak. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that will be important for that sealing process is so that plants have the right amount of water, the right amount of nutrition, the right amount of care. So by June or so, we're going to know what the extent of this damage is. And at that point in time, we can come up with proactive management plans. One of the worst things that people can do with damaged plants is ignore them. Um, because in the world of plants, what gets them typically in trouble is what we call abiotic events. Abiotic, a meaning non-living and biotic means living. So non, non-living events like a freeze does dramatic injury to plants. Plants have the ability to recover from it, but they got to have the right recipe, so to speak, of water, nutrition, sunshine, and temperatures um, and proper care to allow them to repair their damages. So, for example, if you're a homeowner out there and you've got mulch that's piled up 12, 15 inches up in the trunk of your tree, Mm -hmm. pull it back. That's going to hurt the tree. It's going to make the tree sick. It's one way that we can help speed up the recovery. Just simple, basic things like that. That's So, yeah, so as we go into, I mean, for this upcoming weekend, this may or may not have a direct impact, but we go from, you know, cold just a few short days ago to now we're going to be into the 70s near 80 degrees with a ton of rain. I mean, does that help? Does it hurt or does it do nothing at all? It helps as long as you've got a site that's not poorly drained and your plants are standing in water. Mm-hmm. So because so, then you're dropping, you know, you're falling right back into another abiotic event again. So drainage will be important. So it goes back to right plant, right place. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we, we, we find this plant that we think is so pretty and so perfect. It's like a piece of furniture. We're going to stick it right here <laughs> because we think it's going to look great. Well, there's only one problem. It's got to have the right soil, the right sunshine, the right climate. And if you don't put those magical things together, and they're not really magical, they're pretty logical, you'll end up with a a better long-term solution. And those plants tend to recover better out of these type of abiotic events than plants that aren't really sited correctly. Would you be, uh, I guess, advising people then if they maybe held off because we did have a pretty good warning that we were going to get that cold and, you know, this year would be the year that you wait past Mother's Day to put, like, say, flowers or maybe a new bush or something new in the garden. Would you advise then that people, because like you said, it's probably going to be maybe some newcomers who don't usually spend that much time in the garden are going to be going out, spending their money on flowers and then, like you said, you want to make sure that you're finding the right place in your garden. So is this people looking up before well, they buy, or is this people making sure that they depend- go to a garden center that they're actually talking to the people that are working? Well, and this is where it gets interesting is, remember with plants, we have cool season plants, and then we have warm season plants. So cool season plants, things like pansies and snapdragons and petunias, 
you can put them out if you want, and they could have taken this cold weather without a, without a problem. Trees and shrubs and woody vines and perennials, again, they're built genetically to manage cold temperatures as long as you're planting things which are within zone five or six, which is the zone hardiness. Now, if you're talking warm season um, plants, things like impatience and begonias and, and geraniums and tomatoes and peppers and zucchini and summer squash, if you plant that stuff, you're going to have to take extra measures to protect it. Okay. Otherwise, you're in trouble. So, for example, here at my house, um, I'm on my third crop of tomatoes that I planted. My first crop was planted, believe it or not, in the first week of March. Wow. I, I mean, right now they're about this, about yay tall, <laughs> and they got all kinds of little tomatoes on them. But, boy, I have had to cover them a lot. They're, just... doing, they're doing great. Um, but at the same time, um, I tend to push the envelope because I like to have fresh stuff. So, well, and you're um, an expert at it. Yeah, so I was like, you, yeah. you got the inside scoop of like, you know what to do. My, my tomatoes would be dead yeah. for weeks now. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my third crop. So, but, uh, <laughs> but at the thing, same time, though, um, you can modify the climate, and meaning you can protect against those cold temps. And there's a difference between freezes and frosts. And, and those two, it, you know, a freeze is scarier to me than a frost. Right. A frost is just like a little nip on the bud. A freeze is like, oh, boy, we're in big trouble because we're going to the temperature that causes ultimate complete plant death, particularly with plants that are warm season crops. And, those, and keep in mind that warm season crops, meaning impatience and begonias and geraniums and tomatoes and and peppers and eggplant and zucchini and those kind of plants their origins genetic origins are central south america they're used to warm climates yeah most you know all tomatoes were originated in central america so genetically they're not plants that are modified or meant to handle cold temps so you have to protect them and also find ways to speed up their, 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 their rate of growth by covering and doing things like that. Speaking of covering, you know, we say all the time, make sure you cover up your plants if you can't move them indoors on nights like that. I think that it's important to, you know, mention there's a certain type of covering that you should put on your plants and the reason that goes behind that and, and how quickly you should remove that covering in the morning. Can you talk about that, Mark? Yeah, you don't want to use plastic. That's, number, that's the number one rule. Um, plastic actually gets colder underneath than it does without protection. So that's number one. Don't use plastic. Um, use things like bed sheets, blankets, um, burlap if you can get your hands on it. Those are really good products that will kind of trap that ground heat and keep it in place. The other thing is if it doesn't rain the day before, water your plants aggressively because moist soils will radiate more heat out than dry soils will. Yeah, that's And then in the, in the morning, how quickly should you take the covering off? Once yeah. you, once you get up over about 35 to, th to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause then you don't want to roast, you don't want to roast your tomatoes while they're still on the vine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and if you listen to the, Na the national weather service, um, when they post these warnings, they typically will state how long the warning is for. Yeah. And so, like, the, the warning that we had on uh, 
Friday night, Saturday morning was up to, I think, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm -hmm. So in my case, you know, I walked out at 9. I thought, it's still forming ice with the irrigation. I'm going to leave it on for a little bit longer. Yeah. Because one of the worst mistakes that you make is that you pull it off too early or turn off the water. And the, I've had a lot of questions about this watering thing, how this works. It's a pretty fascinating um, thing. It's called a heat effusion. I don't know if you ladies are familiar with the heat effusion. But basically, when one water molecule freezes, it, it releases one kilocalorie of um, heat. And so, for example, on Friday night, Saturday morning, by me irrigating, I was forming ice. Mm -hmm. And every time I formed ice, I released a kilocalorie of heat and kept my plants at about 32.5 degrees Fahrenheit, which is just above freezing, which protects the tissue from freezing. So that was one way. Other um, folks um, that I'm friends with, one guy has a vineyard, and he actually burns smudge pots in his vineyard to raise the temperature, um, to keep it a lot, keep his vines from being frozen and lose his grape crop. Wow. Another, another orchard up in Northern Ohio, according to my father, um, rented the services of a helicopter <laughs> and, and flew a helicopter over top of the orchard. God knows how many hours because right, it was cold, mix. cold, cold up there. It mixes the air. Yeah. Mix the air out. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and, and so he, That's so this effort. guy, yeah, I, 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 I hate to see what the bill was for that. <laughs> um, but even and even a lot of the vineyards um, up in northeastern Ohio have these uh, propane powered um, wind propellers mm -hmm. that will move air through the vineyard and keep the, the, the inversion layers mixed up so that um, the cold air can't settle in. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's really neat when people stop and think about some of those processes, like you said, when you're freezing right. something that it's actually releasing some heat and then mixing out the air. You don't want the cold air to sink. That's the point. If it sinks, it could settle and drop the temperature it, right where your plants and, and your and in my, in my In my career, I used to raise um, strawberries. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, I managed almost 60 acres of strawberries. Wow. And uh, we had one year that we went down to, I think, 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, turned, I think I turned the irrigation water on that night, I think, at 9 or 10 o'clock. And I spent the whole night walking through the fields with a stick, banging the irrigation heads to keep them from freezing up. Yeah. Uh, and um, and we, we had a crop. I mean, we, we survived, but I mean, and that's the piece that um, a lot of people, when they buy produce or raise produce, that, that sweat equity that goes into yeah. raising, it, it makes it taste that much better when yeah. you're, yeah. when you're, when you're, it's just not made in a factory someplace. <laughs> well, now that we're kind of transitioning and I mean, McCall, we could safely say at this point, like our freezing nights, our, our hard freeze potential is very limited. In January yes. or in June, we have actually never dropped into the 30s in the yeah. area that we've had reported. So moving yeah. forward for people now, um, 
now, Mark, what are, what is some of your advice now that we can kind of like move past protection? Now, what do they have to think about when it comes to, we're going from spring, which can be very erratic with temperatures that get really hot, lots of rain, as McCall had mentioned, we get downpours and storms and we could go into a drought in the summer. I mean, we, it's definitely possible. So what well, are some good, things yeah, people yeah. can start thinking about? You know, the next, the next, the two next important things is water and fertility. Um, Remember when plants conduct photosynthesis, they have to pull water from their roots up to their leaves and transpire it through the pores called the stomata. And to do that, they have to have ample water to pull out of the soil. But with the water being pulled out of the soil, it also pulls mineral nutrients with it. Ah. Those mineral nutrients then are deposited in the leaf so that the leaf can use them in the process of photosynthesis. So if you don't have the right amount of water or too much water or not enough water or the right amount of nutrition, you goof up photosynthesis. And like I've often said on the radio, um, our trees and plants and vegetables and fruit can't drive to the grocery store and buy <laughs> carbohydrates. They have to make their own. So one of the things that will be really critical um, moving forward is this water management. Um, and one of the ways that you can do that is buy yourself a 99 cent rain gauge, put it out in your yard, measure how much water you get on a weekly basis. We typically in the summer months want to be between an inch to inch and a half of accumulation, be it a rainfall event. Um, if you don't get that inch to inch and a half, you need to supplement. Uh, most urban landscapes um, don't have soils that are deep, don't have soils that are high in organic matter, and so they tend to dry out quickly and put the plants that you have in the landscape under more of that quote-unquote abiotic stress. And the more abiotic stress you have from drought particularly, you have a lot more increased propensity for diseases and insects in the landscape. And one of the ways that we can manage and use less pesticides, period, is to have happier plants with moisture and nutrition. When you're talking about how much rain that you should get in about a week's time, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you can get that inch in one day and then it's seven days before or, you know, before that next storm comes. Should you be concerned in between? You know, if, if all of a sudden on day three, it seems like everything is dry, should I be out there watering the plants again? Um, if you get an inch within a seven-day period, typically not. Okay. One of the Good things you can... Yeah, one, one thing you can do is do what I call the screwdriver test. <laughs> Just take a screwdriver and stick it down in the dirt right. if the soil's moist or not. I mean, your hands <laughs> are, are the most amazing moisture indicators there are. I mean, you feel soil, moist soil feels wet to the touch. Mm -hmm. Dry soil feels dry, feels like baby powder to the touch. I feel like that reminds me of when I bake a cake and I stick the knife. In right, the you're knife. like, is it done yet? <laughs> exactly. It's the, same, it's the same principle. And the other thing that, that goes with this is, is you, the thing you must fear in the summer is your soil is becoming what they call hydrophobic. And the, and the word is phobic, meaning to fear. So if soils get incredibly dry, which they can around here. Oh, yeah. And let's say you go through a, a, a two-and-a-half, three-week period where you don't get any rain at all, and they're forecasting temperatures in the 90s to 95, whatever moisture is left in the soil is going to be gone, period. 
Yeah. And you're going to have soils that are going to be, become increasingly hydrophobic. So if you do get a quarter inch of rain or a half an inch of rain, that water isn't going to, deep, isn't going to soak very deep into the soil profile. Mm -hmm. So one of the keys is with this inch to inch and a half management number that I come up with is that you're maintaining that moisture soil profile. Even if you climb into the 90s and you only get a quarter inch of rain, you only have to make up another three quarters inch through irrigation. And the other thing that's important about watering is, particularly with turf grass or your lawn, mm -hmm. you'll want to water between 4 a.m. and 10 a.m., period. Don't do any afternoon watering or evening watering. It drives me nuts when people do this because this is why you create a giant incubation chamber for fungus. Ew. Yes. And think of it this way. Where does athlete's feet grow? Ew, and your shoe and your sweaty foot. And the dark, exactly. sweaty shoe you have. Exactly. So if you water at 4 a.m., we have timers, by the way, 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. It gives a chance for the turf grass to dry out. Yeah. And yeah. so you don't create that wet, smelly foot, so to speak, <laughs> because fungus, I mean, typically fungus, remember, fungus needs three basic things to live. It needs the host plant. Mm -hmm. It needs the pathogen. And then it needs the weather conditions for it to grow. If you take one of the three um, uh, pegs from the stool, so to speak, or legs from the stool, you eliminate the fungus. Yeah. So why use a fungicide when you can just not create the conditions for the fungus to grow? And the other thing that, that I see a lot with my practice um, is lousy soil nutrition. Um, over the last 10, maybe 15 years, manufacturers have quit putting phosphorus and potassium in lawn care, do-it-yourself lawn care programs. Okay. Um, I read a lot of soil tests, and what I see is lawns that are so deficient in phosphorus and potassium that they creates a whole gamut of disease issues because um, phosphorus and potassium are what we call gateway nutrition disease in other words, when you have a deficiency in those two, one of those two or both elements, you create a giant void for a number of pathogens to affect your landscape. So okay. one of the ways that we can reduce pesticide use, everybody wants to be organic, okay? Right. <laughs> yeah. The way that we reduce pesticide use in the landscape is by proper water and nutritional management. Your grass needs vitamins, just like we yeah. do. Oh, yes. And speaking oh, yes. of grass, I know that we've talked about this time and time again, Mark, that, you know, you get the bare patches in your grass and you just run right out and you, you get the grass seed. But there are things that I never thought about before until we talked about it is you have to really look at the ingredients that are in that grass seed because a lot of the times you're, it'll have like a percentage of weed in there and, and you're just putting that right on your lawn. They call that inert matter. <laughs> but the thing is that most people don't, don't know that, that seed, um, seed is a regulated product in most states. That when you sell seed, it has to have the, the name of the variety, its origin, um, and it also has to state the, 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 the level of germination and also the amount of, of 
inert matter. Inert matter can be dirt, can be weed seed, it can be anything under the sun. And if you look, and I know people think I'm crazy, but I go to read seed, seed labels all the time. And I'm always like, why would you buy this? Okay, why would you buy this when it's 10% inert matter? God knows how much weed seed you're putting onto your lawn. Right. Um, and the other thing that comes into play with the grass seed particularly is genetics really matter. When you buy a bag of grass seed and depending on the price, the, the less you pay for that grass seed, the poorer the genetics you are going to get with that variety. And a, a good example is you'll see grass seed that's marketed as turf type tall fescue. Everybody goes, oh, we hear Mark talk about that on the radio. That's the stuff I want, okay? But if you turn the bag over and read that little label, it'll say, this is predominantly Kentucky 31. Okay. Kentucky 31 is a pasture grass. Oh. It's not a lawn grass. It's meant no. to feed cows. <laughs> cows and horses okay and it's that really coarse grass that grows kind of tall in your lawn yeah and it look very attractive that's kentucky 31 and mm -hmm. they're and it's it's being marketed as turf fescue when it's really not and that's gotcha. why genetics really matter so a bag of that is going to be substantially less than a bag of grass seed that's been put together that has been researched and shown to be disease resistant, insect resistant, and a variety that's more adaptable and has the better appearance yeah. than a pasture grass does. So much stuff. So Mark, you do have Garden Talk, which people can call in yep. and you answer their questions and you talk about different topics every single week. So if someone maybe hasn't listened to Garden Talk, but they're listening to us now, how can they listen to you and what um, day, what time is the show on? We start at 6 o'clock Saturday morning and we run till 9. We're on uh, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. You can also listen to a podcast. Wonderful of the, of the of the program um, as well, which means if you don't want to get up at six, right, <laughs> which I understand, um, you can listen to podcast. Um, I will say that I've been on the air twenty nine years. That's amazing, Mark. And we have never done one show that's the same as the last show. Yay. Every every week, every <laughs> week has a whole different gamut of. Um, topics and questions and um we have a lot of fun um along the way in fact it's kind of fun when i started out at at hio um we were only on the am signal and we were down there on 1414 wilmington and uh, we had um we didn't even have the computers we had basically eight track carts that we used to play <laughs> for different uh, parts of the show and um I remember uh, one of my first times I ever got a caller from, I don't know, it was California. And I thought I was like, wow, so they call you all the way from right. California. How did, you know, God knows how they were listening to us. Now, I mean, we have listeners, we have frequent listeners in South Carolina, Florida, 
California. We have one guy that listens to us every morning from Indonesia. Wow. Saturday mornings. We have a number of callers that listen to us out of New Jersey and New York City. And so our reach is because of iHeartRadio and the, yeah. and, the, and the app, you can listen to us around the world. And there's a lot of people that used to live in Dayton that live like in Northern Florida. Right listen to garden talk so it's a lot of fun and um i i really enjoy it clearly it's full of knowledge so mark you already dropped things that i didn't even remotely know about in this <laughs> podcast um so if you maybe want to listen to the old podcast that mccall and i did with you because that was also really great a lot of yeah. grass talk because mccall was a new homeowner at the time <laughs> um you could go back uh, right on apple um apple itunes google Play, or stitcher and look at our past episodes you can listen to the one that says mark weber that'll be him again mark thank you so much for joining us um Garden Talk, 6 to 9 a.m. on Saturdays, or you can listen uh, to the podcast version anytime you want. So make sure you check out Mark because, uh, yeah, never-ending thoughts about plants and flowers <laughs> and trees. <laughs> okay, say good care. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.